0: I'd like to begin just by saying good morning again to those of you who are here in our traditional sanctuary, but also and maybe especially a greetings to those of you who are joining us by video right now if you're in our contemporary service or online. Thanks for tuning in this way. Thanks for joining us this way and being a part of what we're all learning together as one church family here in this last week, the fifth and final week of our series on the book of Revelation. I had to acknowledge something about myself this last week. I had to admit something unpleasant or uncomfortable about myself this week, and this is it. Sometimes when the going gets tough, I quit. (laughs) Sometimes when it's hard, when it's a mess, rather than move into the mess and build things up, I bail and move out. Here's two ways I saw this in myself this last week. And by the way, you should know ahead of time that I cleared both of these stories with my children before telling them to you. The first one happened on Sunday or Monday night this past week. It was in the later evening hours, the early hours of the night, and I had given my wonderful 10-year-old son some very clear communication. I had set some very clear expectations for how bedtime was supposed to go on this night. By the way, it's not any different than it is any other night of his entire life. And I had communicated that, and then I came upstairs to find that, well, bedtime was not proceeding according to the expectations that I had set. I imagine it's not the only time that's ever happened in anybody's home, but it was happening in mine. And so I said to him, fine. He asked me, can I do this? Can I do that? I'm like, you know what? Do bedtime however you want. It's up to you tonight, whatever you want to do. And I kind of threw up my hands. I mean, I don't know whether I literally did or not, but I metaphorically threw up my hands and said, you're on your own. Fine. And now, there is a way of doing that as a parent that's like teaches healthy responsibility and you live with your own consequences and all that kind of thing. There are also ways of doing the same thing that are really driven, that are really about the parent, that are really about my own impatience and about my own selfishness. And I'm telling you, in this case, it was that case. All right? I'm done. There was another time about the same length of time ago that I was talking to my wonderful 12-year-old daughter about her homework, and she's been reading a book in her English class that was a really cool book, and she wanted me to read it with her, so I got it on Kindle, and I read it too, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, and then she had some big projects to do to wrap up that that book project, and uh, about that time ago, I tried to kind of call her aside and say, let's, let's make a plan today for how we're going to spend the remaining hours of this day so that the fun stuff doesn't eat up all the work that has to come and then you're stressed out later. Let's do the work. And, you know, I got what I think every parent of a tween or a teen gets, which is the uh, I'll-do-it-myself stiff arm. You know, like, I've got this. I've, that's all. I'm under control. I don't need your help. And so what did Father of the Year over here do? Okay, fine. You don't need my help? Then you won't get my help. Just go do it by yourself then. All right. Threw up my hands and Instead of moving into the mess and building up, I moved out of the mess and I bailed. And it wasn't because I was helping her learn the value of her own consequences and responsibility. It was because I was impatient and because I didn't have the internal fortitude to do what was required. Am I the only one who's ever been in that situation? What if we all did that? What if we all did that and all the responsibilities that God has entrusted us with? What if we did that in our friendships and in our relationships and in our marriages? Every time something got hard, instead of moving into the mess, we move out. Instead of building up what was broken, we just bail. Fine, I'm done. What if we did that in our callings in life, in our vocations, in the challenges that we have, in the ways that we serve one another, in our work lives? What? Challenge? No, I'm done. I'm out. What if God did that? What if god did that with us i find in my life that when things don't always go according to my perfect plan sometimes i get a little impatient about that what if god looked at me or you or us or his world and went this is not exactly my perfect plan forget it i'm out have it your way today's the fifth and final week of our series on the book of revelation And we've been reading all this wild imagery every week, right? I mean, there's been dragons and beasts and earthly battles and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and angels and trumpets and bowls of wrath and visions of the heavenly throne room and visions of conflict on earth. And today we come to the end, the last chapters of the last book of the Bible, this famous and infamous book of the Bible, and we finally get to see how it all turns out. We get to see the restoration of all things, the renewal of God's creation. We get to see that, in fact, in the face of all this rebellion, all this conflict, God did not throw up his hands. God did not throw in the towel and say, fine, have it your way. God was committed to bringing restoration and healing and recovery and the renewal of all things. And We're going to see how it is that God does that, and we're going to see why and how we can cooperate with that work of God in his world and in our lives. If you want to turn with me, we're going to be reading from the very end of the Bible today. It's Revelation chapter 22, and we're also going to pick up some verses from Revelation chapter 21. If you're using one of our Quest Bibles right here, this is on page 1841, and then a little bit later, I'm going to go back to page 1840. But another way to find the passage you're looking for today is just go to the end. It's the last chapter of the whole Bible, so turn way back there, last book, last chapter. But before we can read these verses from the end of the Bible, the last chapters of the Bible, they really make more sense if we understand them in light of the first chapters of the Bible, in light of the whole story. So if I were you, I would keep this page open. We're not going to be turning and reading all these passages at the beginning, but I just want to show you here as I, as I page through, if we turn way back, before we read about the renewal of all creation, if we go way back to the beginning of the Bible, we can read a story about the beginning of all creation. We can read a story in Genesis chapters one and two and three and kind of going on from there about God creating a good world, a world that was whole and in harmony with itself and human creatures in God's world to whom God had given a charge to take care of the world. And we can read about how human beings use the freedom that God gave them selfishly, how they use their freedom in rebellion against God and said, I'm going to serve myself instead. And the story, I think, as it goes chapter after chapter, invites us to contemplate whether God will be committed to them or not, or whether God will go, eh, well, that didn't work out very well, throw his hands up, maybe crush the world, and try again with a new one. But it doesn't take very long. We don't have to turn through too many chapters before we find out that's exactly not who God is. We find out instead that God doubled down on his commitment to this world, and in Genesis chapter 12, God calls two people whose names are Abram and Sarai. Uh, Later, they become more famously known as Abraham and Sarah. And he says to this couple, he says to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to make you a promise, an an unconditional covenant of my blessing and love. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. I'm going to bless you and take care of you, but not just you. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world, the whole world, the whole creation to which God is committed. He makes a plan and says, I'm going to work through these people for the blessing of the whole world. As God doubles down on his commitment to creation and his commitment to these human beings that he has made in it, And you can turn the pages and you can turn the chapters and chapter after chapter, passage after passage, book after book. The story of the Old Testament, the story of God's people Israel is a story of God moving into the messes of his people, not moving out. God looking at what is broken and rather than bailing when it gets hard, building it up. And you can turn through the history and through the prophets and through the prayers and the songs and all the messengers of God's people, God can move in move in among his people, and to build up that which was broken. And when you get about three-quarters of the way through the Bible, you get to this book called Matthew. And it's the beginning of what we now call the New Testament. We find in the stories of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life stories, the biographies of Jesus, we see the stories of how God, in the most radical way imaginable, moved in to the mess of his world, moved into the brokenness and built it up. And we find that in Jesus that we have, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that we can think of Jesus, we can call Jesus Emmanuel, which is this old word that means God with us. And in the life of Jesus and in the character and the teaching and the ministry of Jesus, we get to see God in the flesh, what it looks like when the Word of God becomes flesh and dwells among us. And then after the biographies of Jesus, we get to this book called the Book of Acts, which tells these powerful stories of how it was that God continued to work among his people even after Jesus ascended into heaven. And right at the beginning of the Book of Acts, the history of the earliest Christian church, is a story of when God poured out his own spirit. He poured out his own presence on the gathered people of God on this holiday called Pentecost. By by the way, in two weeks, we're going to mark the holiday of Pentecost on Sunday, June 4th. And we see God pouring out his spirit on his people as if to say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm still with you. I am with you, and I am empowering you to participate with me in the blessing of the world and the restoration of all things. I'm looking to restore the whole world, to reach the whole world through you. You can continue to turn the pages of the Bible until you come to the very end, to the book of Revelation and eventually to Revelation chapter 22 to the end. And we read the story of how God has continued to be committed to his whole creation to the renewal, to the restoration of all things. And I want to read you now these verses from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. This is on page 1841 of our Quest Study Bibles. Jesus gave this vision to John, this ancient Christian named John. and Jesus gave him a vision to share with everyone. Then the angel showed me, John wrote, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Early in Revelation, we saw a vision of the heavenly throne room of God and the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Try picturing that for a second. What does it look like when a tree stands on both sides of a river at the same time? I don't know if you've ever looked up at the skylight that's out in our church commons out there, but there's a painting, a mural, of the whole narrative of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, wrapping around the skylight. And it was painted by one of the artists of our congregation. Her name is Heidi Nelson. She was the muralist who painted that. And as she painted that story, she painted it as it wraps around from the story of creation to the end of Revelation to the new creation. And, and the tree of life binds the stories together. The tree of life that grew in the garden of God in the garden of Eden and grows in the city of God again. And I told Heidi when she was painting, I'm like, you, you got to paint the tree of life. And she's like, how do I Paint a tree on two sides of a river at the same time. Look, like, I'm not an artist, I don't know, you figure it out. But when you go out of the service, you might want to look up and see this representation of the renewal of all things. And the leaves of the tree, Revelation 22 says, are for the healing of the nations. Not the division of the nations we see in the result of sin, but the reconciliation, the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any curse, God's going to roll back the curse and the power of sin. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, not banished from the presence of God anymore, but reconciled to God. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Because God is not giving up on his project. God is not giving up on his creation. God is not giving up on his people. Have you ever thought that God might give up on you? You ever thought, man, I think I messed it up bad enough now. Now God would probably give up on me. Or are you at a place in life right now where you would understand if God gave up on you even now? To be honest, if I were God, I might have given up on me by now. Thank God I'm not God. And you either, by the way, thank God you are not God either. God does not give up. On his people the book of revelation says that god will never give up on his creation and on his people he has not he will not he does not it's not in the character of the god whom we have come to know in the person and the life and the teaching and the death and the resurrection of jesus it's not in the character of the god who has been revealed to us in the story of scriptures that find their center in the person of jesus he has not he does not god is not giving up on you and it's not just you it's not only you it's so much bigger than that. It's his whole world. Have you, for God so loved the world. Maybe you've heard that phrase before, maybe not. It comes from one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John three sixteen. Maybe you've seen it on posters at football games or something behind the goalposts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. I don't know if you've ever heard this or not. I've heard this from time to time that you could put your own name in that verse if you want. For God so loved Mary Nell, and God so loved Betty, God so loved Steve and Annie, for God so loved. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. And yet, God help us if we stop there. It's not just about us. We're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And, and the story says it's for the restoration of all creation. God is in. On his whole world and because of that because god is not giving up on you or me or his whole creation that means that we've got work to do it means we've got work to do we've got a job to do in god's world and sometimes we've missed this because i think we've we've kind of gotten the story of scripture just a couple of clicks off of center sometimes we christians we understand the story of the bible as if the whole thing went like this as if it went like this Once upon a time, God created a good world, and he put us in it, and he gave us moral laws to guide our life. But we broke those laws, and God was angry at our disobedience, and so we needed to be rescued and saved from the curse of our sin so that when we die, God could take us to be with him forever in heaven when we die. That story's not so much wrong as it is incomplete. I think that's not really the story of which Revelation 21 and 22 are the end. I think the story of which Revelation is the end goes more like this. Once upon a time, God created a good world, and he put us in it, and he gave us a relationship with him and a job to do. But we broke that relationship and decided to work for ourselves instead. And so God took up both our parts, the human and the divine, and he put them together And he initiated a healing of the relationship, a reconciliation of the relationship, and a rehabilitation of our work. And God has been aiming for the restoration of all things, for the time when we will know God and serve God perfectly, as he always made us to do. Let me ask you a question about that passage that I read to you. You know how it ended? It said in the last phrase of that reading, and they will reign forever and ever and we will reign forever and ever. Has it ever sounded weird to you? Have you ever heard that before? Did it sound weird to you that we will reign? That we are like kings and queens and royalty? For a number of years, I think I just sort of read right over that. I didn't understand why that made sense. In some ways, I think it felt like an odd fit to me with the teaching of Jesus who teaches us to serve him and follow him in humility. What's this reigning language? Until I saw the connection between the beginning and the end of the story and realized this is actually what God has made us for in the first place. It's what it means to be created in the image of God, to be deputized by God, to be stewards of God, under God for his creation. When the book of Genesis says, and you, human beings, shall have dominion to reign, you'll serve under God for the flourishing of God's world, to have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over all created things, to be humble in worshiping God and to exercise the responsibility that God has given us in his world for the flourishing of his creation which is what the Bible says will happen in the end, that we will see God and no longer be separated from him and worship God perfectly and serve him and reign in his world. It is the reconciliation of our relationship with God and the rehabilitation of the work that he gave us to do. And this is the end of all things. We're not exactly there yet, are we? That's not exactly where we're living right now. But Jesus gave John this vision. He gave John this vision to give to the Christians of ancient Asia in those cities we read about weeks ago in Smyrna and Philadelphia and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Ephesus and all those places to those Christians who were suffering and needed hope and to those Christians who were complacent and needed some motivation and a reminder. He gave us this vision of the future, not so that we would become obsessed with the future but in order to change how we live in the present, in order to change our present. And I think the first way that Jesus intends for our future to be changed is that we would have hope, that in the midst of all this brokenness, in the midst of all this not there yetness, that we would have hope. Let me read you a couple more verses from the chapter right before this and just fill the picture out a little bit more. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. If you want to follow along with me, you can. It's on page 1840 of our Quest Bibles. This is a vision, John says, of a new heaven and a new earth. Notice it's not a heaven and earth is left behind, but a new heaven and a new earth altogether. And then in verse 3, John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, not separated from the people anymore, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And verse 4 says, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Because this is the old order of things. I read this passage two days ago, right here in the sanctuary at a funeral in our church family, at a funeral for Carol Schlatterbeck. Sometimes in this world we're mourning, aren't we? Maybe you're mourning in your life right now. And this passage says that one day there will be no more mourning. The passage says there'll be no more crying because there'll be no more pain. You may be at a place of intense pain in your life right now. You may be hurting right now. But Jesus gave this vision to say there's going to come a time where there'll be no more crying and there'll be no more pain. In fact, what we're going to call those things one day is the old order of things. That's the way it used to be, not the way it is any longer. And in fact, we have a promise on that. The next verse after those verses said this, Revelation 21, verse 5. He who was seated on the throne. I don't know if you remember or not in the second week of this series, we saw that there is a throne and somebody's sitting on it. Somebody is in charge of this and God is on the throne. And God said, in my favorite biblical rhyme, I am making all things new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes because he is making all things new. And what we hear here is really the same words that we heard at the beginning of Revelation. When the Lord Jesus who walked among the golden lampstands that stood for the, for the churches who shine the light of Christ in the world and he walked among the churches and said, I'm alive, I was crucified and I suffered and I know what evil is like, but I have triumphed over death and I am triumphed over sin and I walk among you and I've got you. Hold on, I've got you. It's gonna be okay. And we see a vision of the end. It is all going to be okay. And Jesus gave John this vision to give to us, to say, this future can change your present in this way, that we would have hope in all circumstances. And not only that we would have hope, but that we would live with hope. And I think those are two different things. Hope is a feeling, but it's more than a feeling. Hope is not just a feeling. Hope is also a lifestyle. There's a way of living in hope. And if I were going to give you an image for what it means to live with hope, I I think it might be this. To live in the present is to live with two feet squarely right here where we live in the present. But to live with hope is to pick one foot up out of the circumstances of our present life and put it down firmly in God's future, in the world that we believe that God is creating. To take take our weight, our center of gravity, and say, I'm taking a risk and moving here into the world that I believe that God is creating and live for God's future in my present. I think it means we live with hope. We live a lifestyle of hope. When in our relationships, when in the messes of our relationships, we decide, I'm going to move into those messes. When in our marriages, we're climbing steep hills and things are broken, we say, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to move into the mess. I'm going to build and not bail because I believe that that is the future that God is already creating. And I will participate in what God is doing. And I live a lifestyle of hope. I think we live a lifestyle of hope when we look around us at all the brokenness in our communities, and our society, and we say, I'm going to live for more than that. I'm going to pursue justice. And I'm going to practice compassion. And I'm going to live my life for those who are hurting because I believe in that's the kind of world that God is creating. That the leaves of the tree are for the healing of all the nations. And no longer will there be any curse. I'm going to live for the restoration of all things. And I believe in the Lord that my labor in the Lord is not in vain because this is the world that God is creating. And I'm in. I think we can live a lifestyle of hope in simple and mundane ways every day in the way that we go about creating things, creating in God's world as he called us to do, care for the flourishing of his garden, of his city, of his world. When you create art and medicine and technology and machines and all kinds of things that contribute to the flourishing of God's world, I think we say, you know what? My vocation may be frustrating. There may be things that make it hard to do good in God's world, but I believe this is what God has created me to do and that he will in the end restore all things. And so I'm in. And I'm living for it. Here in our church, we kind of have language for this. We say that about three hours a week, we gather together and worship and in our growth groups, and we celebrate, and we are reminded of, and we are encouraged by the word of God's hope, by the good news of his restoration of all things, his victory over sin and evil in Jesus Christ. And if we do that, maybe roughly three hours a week, who knows what the number is. That leaves 165 hours a week for me to serve God in all the places where I go, where we are the church and we are scattered in the thousands of different ways that God has called us to serve. As we come to the end of the book of Revelation here, I'd like to leave you with that question. As we look into the future, as we see the hope that God has created to triumph over evil and all the forces that separate us and wreck our lives, what's the step of hope that God is calling you to take? What's the place in your life where God is calling you to see what's broken, and maybe you see it all the time, to see the mess happening in your life that's happening around you and god says i'm gonna overcome all that and i'm asking you to step into it now what's the step of hope and action and living for the restoration of all things that god is calling you to take we've been reading the book of revelation for five weeks now and i think any of us i think anybody knows how the present can change the future. Maybe in small ways, maybe in big ways. There are things that we can do now that can make tomorrow be different. But I think the logic of the revelation of Jesus to John and to us is different than that. I think the book of Revelation invites us to believe not only that what we do in the present can change the future, but the vision of the future can change our present. That where we look will determine where we walk. And that we are invited to live as a community, living with God, for the restoration of all things. Imagine the power. Imagine the power in our world of a community of people together, locked arms, locked step, living in the power of the Spirit together, living for the recreation and the restoration of all things. Imagine what that could mean even in your own private life, in your heart, in your relationship. Imagine what that could mean. If you're a young person, if you're a student, if you're a high school student, a college student, a young adult, imagine the power of using the years and the decades and the energy of your life to live for an enduring kind of good that God invites us to trust will outlive you, that will outlast you, and will outlast everybody else that you know. Imagine the impact. Imagine the impact of a community living together for the restoration of God's good. Imagine the impact on the next generation of people who are growing up outside the church, who are growing up apart from God, who are looking at a world that is sliding into disintegration and chaos, and who need a reason to believe that there is hope, who need a reason to believe that there is a future worth living for. Imagine the impact of a community of people who has said, our lives will be that testimony. We will live in hope for the future that God is creating in Christ. Imagine the impact on just this little corner of God's world, of a couple thousand disciples of Jesus here in this one community of grace who has said, I will live and work in the power of God's Spirit to move into the messes around me, to move into the mess and not out, to build up and not bail, because in the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I believe in the power of God to heal all things, to renew and restore all of creation. I think that would be a revelation. I think that would be a revelation of Jesus Christ to the world around us, and I pray that it happens. I pray that God will do that work in each of us. I pray that God will do that work among us as a people. And I pray that God will do that work through us in his world. And I invite you to pray for that with me together right now. Father in heaven, you are good. We worship you because we know your heart in the life and the character of Jesus himself. And we have seen your commitment and your grace toward us. And we thank you for it. We pray for the work of your spirit in our lives and in your world. We pray that you would restore our hope, that you would bring living water, the river of the water of life flowing into our own lives and in our community and in the communities around us and in which we live. We pray for your healing power. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to trust your grace and your commitment and to fill us with hope. And I pray that you would fill our lives and our steps with the courage of hope that you would empower us to live for the world that you are creating. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.